So I want to continue uh, this week uh, where really I left off uh, six weeks ago, which was uh, introducing our exploration and practice with another strong emotion, which is fear. And we decided last time at the end of the session that we'd come back to fear given that the days are much darker and probably most of us have not totally transformed fear. So that was a that was a joke. <laughs> so 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 what I'd like to do is to review somewhat the, some of the themes that I brought up last time about the nature, particularly about the nature of fear and how we practice with fear. And what I'd like particularly to do today is to take us a little more deeply into exploring the nature of fear and in um, seeing how to practice with fear. And I'd like to invite us, particularly in this next week, to see if fear arises, because I'm not really just talking about major, gripping, intense fear, but I'm also inviting us to look at the kinds of low-level anxiety and the kind of persistent fear that might actually structure a good part of our lives, but not, not be quite so dramatic. And so it's really an invitation, and we'll, we'll open up to that, because part of the practice of working with fear is to see how... Um, significant and deeply entrenched fear can be, even if someone, even when if someone asked you, are you a fearful person, you might actually say no, but when we actually look, we find that fear is quite uh, pervasive. Sometimes it's said, where there's a self, there's fear. And it's really, a, it's really a kind of a, a central part of our practice uh, to look at fear, because fear is both something that's quite ordinary and in, sen- in a sense has a biological basis, but the kind of fear that is particularly difficult for us is the kind of unconscious and runaway fear that uh, takes us over and that makes it very hard to be mindful, wise, and compassionate. Last time I quoted this wonderful passage from Aung San Suu Kyi, the tremendously courageous <coughs> leader of Burma, who many of you know about, who's been living under house arrest for, what, 15 years or so? More than that, maybe. And who's been this very deeply courageous person holding forth the, uh, really we might say, much of the democratic hopes of the people of Burma and much of the hope of the people of Burma for a life free from fear. And in fact, her <coughs> book, uh, her, her first main book is called Freedom from Fear. So it's a very central part, as you can imagine, in her life, sitting amidst a dictatorship and um, being under house arrest, being unable <coughs> to be with her husband when he was dying because he was dying in England and she knew that the, country, that the Burmese rulers would not let her back into the country if she left. She had this awful kind of, almost like the Sophie's Choice kind of decision. Am I, shall I be with my dying husband? This was uh, just a few years ago. And thereby give up my role as the hope for the people of Burma? Or should I stay in Burma? Can you imagine that choice? And she chose to stay in Burma. And of course, I'm sure there was all sorts of other connection, but it's a very completely heart-rending choice. It was her choice that she had to make. And so her book is called Freedom from Fear, she says the only real prison is fear. And the only real freedom is freedom from fear. Knowing her situation, that statement comes with a lot of power, doesn't it? The only real prison is fear, and the only real freedom is freedom from fear. 
The only real prison is fear. And the only real freedom is freedom from fear. And so what I'll suggest is that our practice with fear is actually quite central. Partly in working with significant fear when it arises in our experience, but partly also exploring how much unacknowledged fear there is. That's a significant part also, and I'll explore that. And it gives us, uh, when we can practice with fear, I think we learn also core principles for working with any difficult emotion. Because I think the, what I have found is that the, the, the ways of practicing with fear are very similar to how we might practice with other difficult emotions like anger or sadness or despair. That, there, that I'm going to suggest that there are a few core ways of practicing, and I'll, I'll mention what they are now and then come back and sort of the second part of the talk will be especially how to work with it, that I th- the, the first step in it with any difficult emotion is coming back to some degree of balance. A lot of times difficult emotions take us away. They take us out of balance, fear especially, and we'll, we'll explore in a moment how very specifically fear does that, that fear can uh, flood our body with reactions, it can confuse our mind, it can paralyze our mind. And so sometimes we can't actually apply our usual practice tools such as mindfulness or loving kindness or, or uh, reflection, reading text and so forth. Sometimes our first step has to be to come back to balance. And I'll talk more about what that means. And we can do that in a variety of ways. When we have some degree of balance, then we can work with mindfulness and exploration of where there's fear. Sometimes we want to actually go out of our way to go into the territory of fear when we have uh, good resources, balance, and a certain interest in exploring fear. It can be a really important part of our practice. You know, again, we're not just talking about the big fears of physical harm. We could be talking about a fear simply of being honest in some situation about a difficult topic. Or it could be, for some of us, it could be public speaking. You know, I think I mentioned last time how polls have shown that the deepest fears of at least U.S. citizens are about public speaking. That... that uh, People are way more fearful of public speaking than of death. Well documented. <laughs> and, but when you think about it, you can see that it's actually it, it's a fear of a kind of death of self by making a fool of oneself. And the deeper meaning of public speaking is that it's okay to make a fool of oneself. That's, that's why, as you know, that's why I studied um, to become a, a clown. I'm thinking I'm getting a little. I think I, this is a, for those of you here for the first time. I actually was enrolled in the clown school of San Francisco, and Naomi and I did a act a while ago, about eight, six months ago here. So I actually um, do carry around at all times my clown nose, and <laughs> and I think it's actually very very helpful because it gets right at the deepest fear of public speaking, which is to reveal oneself as utterly incompetent fool. And so when you actually deliberately try to do that, it's very releasing. So anyway, that's a little bit of a digression there. Um, but it is, but it is, that is a, a very, fear appears in all sorts of ways. And so when we can use, when we have the balance, we can explore it, use mindfulness, use um, reflection, use wisdom, reflect on impermanence and so forth, and can really... Uh, work skillfully with it, with, with the fear. And I think thereby, when we can work in a full way with fear, we do have these tools that we can apply to other emotions. So I think that's really, really helpful. It's almost like when we work skillfully with one difficult emotion, we have the tools that we can then apply and perhaps have more confidence with working with other difficult emotions. And we'll find that the, some of the dynamics are very, very similar because mostly with difficult emotions the conditioned tendency is to want them to go away and for everything to be back to 
balance, more or less. And, and yet, with difficult emotions, they are giving us a different message. And so how can we be skillful with both working with them and also learning from them? What I'm going to suggest, I think this is true with all difficult emotions, fear included, is that fear is not simply a problem, but it actually carries uh, often some intelligence that we can actually use. The problem with fear is not fear. It's the way we get paralyzed, stuck, or um, caught in fear. You know, I mentioned last time that mountain climbers all are fearful, and yet they don't get paralyzed by the fear. They say the most dangerous mountain climber is someone who doesn't feel fear. That's an important thing to remember. And so as we explore fear, I'd like to invite us to see how is there actually intelligence in fear that we can use, and how do we get stuck in fear? How do we get stuck in our bodies? Sometimes they take us away, we get stuck. Our minds, our emotions can take us away. So as a start, I'd like to invite us just to reflect, sort of go inside and reflect on some time, maybe in the last short period of time, when you have felt some, some fear. And again, it doesn't have to be a big fear. It can be a small fear. could be a fear of saying something to a friend or to a partner. could be a fear of a conversation at work or so forth, as well as something larger, maybe um, a fear related to a relationship or to maybe to, to some illness or to, to a friend or some of the things that we might have mentioned earlier. So just invite that experience to be present so that you can kind of, kind of tune in to that sense of what fear is about. Maybe imagine the situation. And right now, let's try to tune in especially to what the lived experience of fear is. Not so much what the story is in this particular instance, but what is the actual experience in the body, in the mind, in the heart of fear. like to invite a few people maybe just to say a sentence about what what was some of your lived experience of fear could be something about again about the body the mind the heart please yeah Uh, for me um just now it was uh, i realized it was about fear of my fear was fear of someone speaking to me angrily yesterday Mm -hmm. and my fear was that i couldn't perform well in that circumstance that I would become flustered, that I would not be able to think clearly and re- would react badly. Mm-hmm. And what was the actual experience like in your body or your, your mind? Um, <laughs> unpleasant, sort of um, jangled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, please, and let's let's focus, especially on the experience, not so much on the content, but it's actually helpful to bring out the content because we start to see a lot of fear, most, almost all fear is fear of the future, is fear of a future experience. That's, so we're starting to get some clues here. So what's, what's the actual lived experience of fear? Please. Well, it, it feels um, like, like, like things are blocked. Mm-hmm. And then, like, so 
kind of like there's not a free flow of um, emotion when things block, and then that cr- creates more fear. Yeah, so some sense of block, lack of free flow, and the way that that accelerates the fear. Please, in the back. Yeah. Um, it's a feeling of resistance. Yeah. Resistance, resistance, and pulling back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, um, please, yeah. Um, fluttering in the stomach, and then followed by um, negative self-talk, which made more flutters. Yeah, fluttering, negative self-talk, kind of uh, what we can call a we sometimes call a vicious circle, vicious cycle. Yeah, please. <laughs> I literally stopped breathing. Yeah. And then I realized it's like. I like take it. I mean, it can be a while before I realize it. Stop breathing. So even just in the remembrance of that of the experience that that occurred, maybe a few more, please. Maybe four more, and then we'll, yeah, please. Feeling trapped. Feeling trapped. Yeah, yeah. Did that manifest in your body in a certain way. Can could could you say a little bit? Welling up, wanting to leave, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Please. It's like uh, deer in the headlights. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then awareness that the mind goes blank over to the person with whom I'm interacting, imagining what they're thinking, and then realizing that I'm not thinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what the uh, sort of a sense of not having your usual capacities, deer in the headlight, mind blank. You know, mind kind of going over to try to figure out over there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, please. It, I don't know if this is a contradiction, or, but it feels like it's both a contraction and at the same time this erasing quality to it. Yeah. So it seems like those would be opposites, but I think I, it's like a closing down and at the same time the energy is speeding up inside the closer tire container. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. So, so some both contraction, tightening, and then moving more quickly. Inside, the energy is... Inside, yeah, so it's kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, yeah. With those same things, the mind, my mind starts racing to try and find a safe place. Yeah. And the more I don't find a safe place, the more the fear gets bigger. Yeah, looking for a safe place... Fear accelerating. So that again, that kind of feedback loop and that pro- we've mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fear, you know, um, fear of survival in a certain, mm-hmm. almost like the mind starts to um, get locked onto this will never end. Right. Let's see. Okay, Got a lot of. Okay, I'm just going to do. I'm just going to do four more, and then I. <laughs> I have a fear that this will continue forever. <laughs> okay, please. Ungroundedness. Ungroundedness. Yeah, uh, Jen, please. I just feel like I get flooded with ice water. Flooded with ice water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollow, empty, slightly nauseous. Hollow, empty, slightly nauseous is. Yeah, and Kathy, this will be the last one, I think. Very, very, simp- uh, very similar to what uh, Giselle was saying. Um, contraction, heart rate going up, and so forth. So we can see, you know, I think when I reflect on these experiences of fear, it seems like they're particularly uh, focused on the what happens to the body and what happens to the mind. You know, with the body, we have all of these different ways that we um, get quite reactive in the body that the that there that it can be experienced quite differently for some it's something in the the belly maybe for some it's in the heart for some it's in the whole body contracting and so forth and could be a kind of paralysis it could people have different ways of manifesting that kind of fear um 
For others, it's the thoughts take a certain form. The thoughts get paralyzed or the thoughts just get locked down or they get locked into one storyline and so forth. And it becomes actually quite important when we are working with, um, with fear to really step back and try to plug into that experience, to really have that quality of mindfulness, to really explore what the nature of fear is. It becomes actually quite helpful to go to that more direct experience that, that uh, Marty was asking about before we, we started the talk, to look more directly, to see how our thought gets paralyzed, our usual capacities may not be there. We may look for some, we may in a way grasp for some meaning that is um, that can make sense of the situation, even if it's totally illusory. When there's fear, we're very much at the mercy of finding, of having some kind of meaning that we grasp hold of that gives us some sense of security. This is the tool of, of what uh, dictators do and demagogues, that they will, in a fearful situation, they will give some answer to the situation that is actually really not based in reality, but it gives, you know, it might be to scapegoat a certain people. It might be to say, you can uh, survive, you know, to, do, to really work with this fear, we have to do X, Y, Z, do all these horrible things, but you will not be afraid. You know, and, and so when, there's, when there is fear, the mind goes and grasps on to illusory solutions quite often. And again, people who can manipulate other human beings know that very well. So we have to look out for that, both personally and socially, because it's very, very much the case. Uh, The Buddhist teacher, uh, Tanisaro, who teaches in Southern California, had a very, I think, very helpful, simple analysis of fear. He said that fear had five basic aspects. And and this is primarily the... um, primarily on the level of, uh, more on the level of how we respond generally, not so much going into the details of the body reactions. He said that there is, uh, with fear, there is confusion, there is aversion, there is a sense of danger, something bad is happening, there is a sense of weakness, I can't do anything about it, and there's a desire to escape. And then we may or may not be able to do that. He says, essentially, that the last three are more sort of the natural functionings of fear as a very almost instinctual basis for survival. He says what's unskillful are particularly the confusion and the aversion, that kind of resistance that, uh, that you were talking about, that way, and the confusion that many of us talked about, and the confusion that's often the case when our bodies are flooded or going somewhat out of control and the mind just gets totally unclear. That's where the problem is. So fear itself is a very basic primitive emotion. It's probably the most primitive of all emotions and it's there in large part for our survival, right? It's, it's, a, it's part of the survival mechanisms that, you know, cats, when they get afraid, they do their thing, right? And it's a survival mechanism to appear bigger to the, to the enemy and to, and to totally intimidate all human beings. <laughs> and we do, you know, we do the counterpart of that. So it, it, it has a survival value. Where fear becomes a problem is in those aspects of confusion and aversion. And especially when we get caught in a particular, particular storyline that can be very much the case when, our, when we have these body reactions. And so that's why the mindfulness is going to be very, very crucial to looking at fear to help us to actually notice what's going on, to notice with our mindfulness kind of the runaway thoughts, the uh, thoughts that see a, a bleak future, the thoughts that actually jump a lot from the actual experience and that give us some kind of illusory meaning that gives us some clarity because in a way, the, the, the just being present with the unknown is very, very hard. And so some of what we train for when we work with fear is how to be with the unknown and just with the basic experience of this is happening to my body, this is happening with my mind, what can I, how can I 
notice how my mind is going beyond those experiences. Or, or as people were noting, that with fear there's that acceleration. You know, as that when we stay with the fear, our mind tends to create more fear and it tends to kind of be a runaway, what's, what's uh, called in systems theory a negative feedback loop. Where, the, the, where it just gets, another way of saying it, it's kind of a vicious cycle, it just feeds upon itself. And so what we can do with our mindfulness, ultimately, is we can really look and see and work with, uh, work with that fear. So we bring it back, we get, first of all, we get familiar with the fear, we learn to be with it, and we learn to see it, and notice particularly where the mind goes beyond the lived experience, where it, where it tends to become runaway. It's also helpful, really, to look at the different kinds of fear that there are in daily life. There's a lot of fear that we live with in daily life. Um, I wanted to read something from one of our participants in the Path of Engagement program who wrote this, uh, who some of of you may know. I think uh, her name is Georgianne Munton. Does anyone know Georgianne? She uh, teaches... Uh, actually is a uh, works at a preschool in San Rafael where she is like one of the associate directors of the whole school. And she has a, a, a bus that uh, she paint like a, almost like a, what, uh, an R- recreational vehicle, RV, that she paints up and she actually teaches Dharma with her bus by painting on it. And what she wrote on her bus, she wrote, she wrote a series of teachings about fear. And she was particularly, and it's really amazing, you should go to her school just to see the bus. <laughs> and this is what she wrote on her bus about all the ways that there is fear in daily life. She said, be afraid of liberals, of conservatives, of corporations, of environmentalists, of guns, of gun control, of allowing abortions, of banning abortions, Be afraid of wrinkles, of SARS, of strangers, of killer bees, of bad credit. This is all in the bus. Be afraid of the weather, of pit bulls, of mold, of computer viruses, of low consumer confidence. Be afraid of terrorist attacks on airplanes, buses, subway trains, the water system, schools, nuclear power plants, commercial trucks, the food food distribution system, tanker cargo, government build buildings, financial institutions, national monuments, sports stadiums. Be afraid of bad breath, of the sun, of weighing too much, of weighing too little, of the bird flu, of high gas prices, of a recession, of crime. Be afraid of weapons of mass destruction, of terrorists, of losing our individual rights, of illegal aliens, of bad cow disease, of identity theft, of development, of no growth, of homosexuality, of split ends, of shark... Of shark attacks. This is all on the bus. Be afraid. Be afraid of losing your things, of getting older, of dying. Underneath all the passages about fear, she has a quote from Hafiz, the great uh, Persian mystic and poet. From about the, he came just a little bit later than Rumi, so probably 13th or 14th century. He said. Fear is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see you in better living conditions. <laughs> so we can tune into that fear. And I, I was in a, a group last night, one of our path of engagement groups, and people were kind of quite, rather spontaneously, people were reflecting on how they had been this this was a particular group, and I'm not saying that everyone should be like this, but this particular group of people were particularly reflecting on how they were had been carrying around a great deal of fear and anxiety related to the last eight years of the administration. And, and again, I don't want to suggest... Others of us may have opposite views, but this was their experience, and they actually were able to almost tune in. We did a kind of a ritual where people tuned in to what they had been carrying around with the aim of trying to release that lived fear that people were carrying around, the fear and anxiety. And I think that we probably all carry around quite a bit. It may be, 
I know that when one of the revelations for me when I was first doing meditation, it was quite striking, was that I actually came to study fear more closely. Unexpectedly, I, I came to see how in my everyday experience there was a certain amount of anxiety of trying to control experience. And I could see, and I only saw this more clearly in retreats, how, how there was almost, when I got very quiet, I could see how there was an effort to try to control experience moment to moment. So that was actually, there was actually almost like a fear of what experience might be if I didn't control it. So, so fear can be on quite subtle levels. As we look more deeply, and I, I'm seeing some nodding heads, that there may be some resonance there. And this isn't bad. It's just something that we open up to. Part of the, part of the um, fruit of our meditation and becoming more quiet is that we can tune in to what we carry around. You know, we can t- tune in to how we have that kind of low-level anxiety or we try to control experience or we have residues of, residues of um, fear from difficult experiences and some of us may have residues of trauma. And we all carry that around. And it's really a basis in a way for compassion, isn't it? You know, or just to know that, that hearing the... Um, reports or the, the invitations to bring caring energy to certain people who are in hard times and to know that all of us are carrying around those experiences is a basis for compassion. And it's a basis also for seeing if that does cause us to be more fearful, how can we look at that and in some ways release those kind of fears? So the, what are the tools really for working with fear? I mentioned especially that if there's, in a given moment, there's a lack of balance, very important to come back to balance with our, in, in different ways with our, with our um, experience. And we can do this in a lot of different ways, that we can use loving-kindness practice, we can use the practice if we notice our mind out of balance. And fearful, we can do something which brings about lightness in the mind or joy or loving-kindness, you know, and I personally use loving-kindness quite a lot when there is some fear. I just say, you know, and and I feel particularly it's a vulnerable moment and it's not quite the right time for deep inquiry. But but it's more that it's actually wise to shift the energy and say, okay, loving-kindness, do your thing. (laughs) I don't exactly say it like that. I just say, I just, but there's something in me that knows just to go to that quality of mind when there's some fear that's taking over. And I, I mentioned that it might be those times in the middle of the night or when one's quite vulnerable, when one's feeling taken over by a certain challenging thought pattern. But for that loving kindness to be a real resource at that moment, we have to practice it. You know, it's like the Tibetans say, you can't wait for the moment of death to get spiritual. <laughs> you know, that we have to, in a way, there's a reason for daily practice, that when we keep practicing and strengthening loving kindness and mindfulness, then when fear comes, we have that as a resource. If we don't practice it, and then fear comes, and it's more likely to take us away. And so it's really, a, there's a little bit of a pep talk for daily practice. <laughs> but I, I think you can see that. So there, there are ways that we to find balance, we can call upon loving kindness or go to joy or be in nature, be with beauty. You know, beauty as a, uh, a recourse, beauty in the natural world, beauty in art. Probably many of you who, I know some of us here are artists and you probably experience being with your art as a way to be with difficult emotions and fear. Partly, you know, partly that quality of the way that art itself can be a healing resource. You know, the way that, and, you know, I know I work with some people who use poetry to be with very, very difficult experiences. And it's like in the naming of the difficult experience and the being present with it that's ne- that happens in art, there's a kind of balancing that occurs. It's quite wonderful to see. Maybe I can bring in some examples of that because it's quite 
stunning. I think many of you know that, that music can do that, that art can do that. Think of the blues. The blues are a way to have balance when there's, uh, when there's fear and difficult experience. That leaves people coming through the other end in a way. So, of course, community and friends. The Dalai Lama says his, his major way of dealing with fear is to remember his good intentions. Someone asked him, how do you work with fear? He says, I remember my good intentions. It's kind of his answer for a lot of things. It's, it's to stay in touch with those, those intentions. And so when we have that kind of balance, we can use the mindfulness, we can explore the nature of fear, we can work with it, we can see ways that, we can act, that our mind is telling stories that are not necessary, that go beyond, as it were, the facts, or that go, beyond, go way beyond and are speculative, speculating and so forth. We can also inquire and go really try to actually sometimes when we're fairly balanced, we can go into situations that are scary for us with the aim of almost like confronting the fear, of being present with the fear, of going out of our way to work through something. It's really something that I think many of us probably do. Friends I know who have a really difficult time with public speaking, they take public speaking courses. No, some of the like, was it toasters or what's the toastmasters? toastmasters. <laughs> so so many friends of mine who are interested in public speaking, they do toastmasters, you know, or they they go into those situations. And I think I want to end with a story from uh, Achan Cha, which is about one of these instances of going into fear. I think I'll end with this, and we can then then talk together some. And Achan Cha was a Jack Kornfield teacher, one of the great Thai teachers who, I don't know if anyone met him, I had the privilege of studying with him some in the late 1970s. And beautiful man, really like a trickster figure. And there, you know, there are pictures of him in the Gratitude Hut. You can take a look. He was a very, but he was, like many people from his region in Thailand, he was afraid of ghosts. And there was a deep fear of ghosts in the culture. Um, you might think, great Buddhist master, afraid of ghosts. Well, that's... Anyway, here's how he dealt with it. He said, I am afraid of ghosts. I have to deal with this. And so he, at certain moment, he summoned his courage and he went into the situation and he tried to be with ghosts. I don't know if any of you have done that. Uh, I did it once. And it was... I, won't, I think I better not tell the story because I'll get in the way of Achan Chah's story, but it was, you know, I once... When I was doing a lot of meditation, I lived right by a graveyard. And it was... <laughs> anyway, I better, better, get <laughs> better get back to this other story. Um, so, this fear was something that had really bothered Achen Cha. He had been a monk for quite some time and was well aware that he had been evading and avoiding this fear. It was something he had never really resolved. When he was a young kid, he was well known to be strong and self-reliant. As an adult, he was also a pretty tough nut. This is from a wonderful book by Achan um, Amaro, who uh, uh, comes here quite often, is on the Teacher's Council, uh, a monk, English monk. As an adult, he was also a pretty tough nut, yet well into his monastic life, he was terrified of ghosts and had a very strong fear of corpses. Whenever he went to stay on his own in the forest, he would recite protective verses to keep the galleys and ghosties at a distance. Being a deep-end kind of guy, he decided to go straight at the fear. He would deal with his problems the way that, this way whenever there was something he needed to learn. He decided he had been running away from his fear of ghosts for long enough. He was going to confront it once and for all. He decided to set up his mosquito net and camping place in the burning ground outside the village where he had been staying. Probably it's difficult for us to comprehend what this might have been like, but the monk who wrote his biography said that it was rather like what happened in the novel 1984, it was in Room 101 where you met the most visceral fear, the most nameless and primordial terror for you. Going into the burning ground for Achen Cha was like the protagonist of 1984 going into Room 101. He said it took every ounce of his effort and willpower to put one foot in front of the other. As dusk was falling, his mind was screaming, Don't be ridiculous. Don't do this. It's not good for your samadhi. <laughs> be reasonable maybe you can do this later next year when you've got your practice more together 
But he willed himself to stay and set up his camping place. Once he put up his mosquito net, he went in and just sat there. There had been a cremation of a young child that day. During the funeral, Achen Cha was fine since everyone was around. Then everyone left and he was there on his own. His biography contains a long description of the first night that is filled with lurid images and account of the sheer willpower he needed to get himself through the next day. He was so afraid he just locked himself in one spot. When dawn came, he said to himself, Oh, great, I've done it. I've done my cremation thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know that kind of reaction. I've done my bit. Okay, I've qualified now. I've done my suffering. I don't have to do that anymore. Please, can I go now, sir? <laughs> but Achan realized, no, 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 no. That's not transcending fear. That's just enduring it. I haven't got through this at all. I'm still absolutely terrified. I can give myself the excuse that I don't have to do it, but the terror is still here in front of me, and I'm determined to get through this. He was really pleased that he was now going to stay on. And then he thought, at least there isn't going to be another burning. <laughs> another person burned, you know, which in that Thai culture would mean that when the person was burned, that person's spirit would come in the form of a ghost. So he said, okay, not going to be another burning. But sure enough, an adult died that second day. <laughs> So he stayed then through that cremation and then everyone left. All he had to protect himself was his practice and his mosquito net. He said, my mosquito net felt like a fortress circled with seven contractric walls. Even the presence of my alms bowl was reassuring. So he has these resources to help him with the fear. He made the resolution to sit there and to be with his feelings, knowing that this was the best way to get through the fear. The night before, as he had sat locked in place, there had been the usual animal noises, crickets going on all night long and leaves and twigs dropping from the trees. There was nothing special, just familiar sounds. On the second night, things changed. He was sitting there around midnight when he thought he heard footsteps. When you live in the forest, you get to know which animals make what kinds of sounds. You know the difference between deer and bear sounds. Lizards and snakes make very distinct noises. Achan Cha was sitting there thinking, I hear footsteps, it's not an animal. It's a two-legged creature and the person is coming from the fire. So he said to himself, don't be ridiculous, maybe it's one of the villagers coming to see if I'm all right. Maybe they've come to offer me something and if they do, they will just come up and say hello. Nevertheless, he was determined to just sit there with his eyes closed. Then he heard these footsteps, thump, 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 getting closer and closer. He's starting to tighten up. The sweat poured out of him and he told himself, Oh, don't panic, it's just one of the villagers with heavy steps. In his mind's eye, he could see the charred body. He could see a skeleton with guts hanging out, the scorched bits of flesh hanging off, skins and eyes dropping down the cheek and a half-burned mouth. And he felt this rank mess of flesh walking towards him. He told himself, don't believe it. This is just your imagination. Stop, be still, concentrate, and let go of the fear. So even though you can see the content may not be your everyday fear, <laughs> you can see the dynamics are not so different. You get, you get that sense. In the meantime, the footsteps were getting closer and closer. Then he heard the steps going around and around him, thump, 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 circling around again and again. By this time, he was a state of white-hot fear. He had gone beyond anxiety. His body was locked solid and sweating bullets. He was absolutely rigid. Then this presence came and stood right in front of him. He was still determined to keep his eyes closed, not even a peek. At this point, he was so completely fear-stricken, it burst. The fear system was going at absolutely full force when suddenly he had the thought, all these years I've been reciting, the body is impermanent, feeling is impermanent, perceptions are impermanent, the body is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self, mental formations are not self, consciousness is not self, so he wasn't just afraid, he was also very concentrated and alert. The insight flashed into his consciousness, even if this is some terrible, gallish monster that is going to attack me, all that it can attack is that which is not me. All that it can harm is the body, the feelings, the perceptions, mental formations and consciousness. That is the only stuff that can get damaged, and that's not me, that's not self. That which knows all of these cannot be touched. And instantly, the feelings of terror evaporated. It was like switching on a light. It disappeared completely. And he went into an incredible blissful state. He went straight from total dukkha, pain and incandescent fear, to an extraordinary bliss. His mind was alert. And as that happened, he heard the footsteps, thump, 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 getting fainter. Eventually the footsteps disappeared. He never found out their source. 
He sat there without moving until dawn. During the night it poured. Tears of rapture ran down his face and mixed with the rain. Nothing in the world could have moved him. So... Hmm. Let's just sit with that. What's that? That's a wonderful section. Yeah, yeah. Let's just sit with that for a minute. This was from this uh, very beautiful book called Small Boat, Great Mountain, which is available on the website for the Monastery of Bayagiri. And I'm sorry I took uh, a little more... I think I wanted to tell that story. And I I took a little more time than I wanted to in terms of the uh, not-so-much-time-for-questions. And what I'd like to invite is how many of you would like to explore looking at fear of any kind, low-level, high-level, medium-level, in the next week. Would you like to? And I'll, what I'll suggest, I'll, what I'll do is I'll try to give uh, much more time for discussion ne- next time so that we can interact, because I, I would have liked to have done that, and I, I didn't realize how long the story would be, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, what I'd like to suggest is the practice, remembering the practice, the very simple kind of working with the quality first, if the mind's out of balance, the body's out of balance, find that balance, uh, balancing factor. Then work with mindfulness to particularly see what's there with the fear, particularly noticing what's there in the body and what the stories are that are being told. What's happening, what the stories are, what the narrative is that's coming along with the fear. Sometimes just in noticing that, we can say, I'm jumping a lot to something that is, I don't know about, and I don't need to do that, or just to see the way that fear becomes runaway. A lot of times just naming and noticing what's there with fear, the fear dissipates. Noticing, again, noticing that there is often that intelligence with fear. Fear is not the enemy. But the problem with fear is the, as uh, Tanisara Bhikkhu said, it's the uh, confusion and the aversion. Not the fear itself, but it's really what we do with the fear. Same thing with anger and most difficult emotions. They can, they're giving useful information. It's what the problem is, is when they take us over, paralyze us, we run away with some story that they catalyze. The emotion itself is not the issue. The skillful response to the emotion is how we work with it. So working with the mindfulness, working with the balancing, the different tools for balancing art, music, nature, metta, good friends, and so forth. And then also, at times, working with that quality of inquiry. You may want to take a, uh, one of your fears and see if you can do your own modest version of what Achan Cha did with the, the ghoulies and the ghosties. <laughs> You know, and to to work with that, and so I'll invite that in the next week. And again, it can help often if we set that intention at the beginning of a day, so that we remember. And I'd love to uh, and take some notes if you want. Take some notes of what you found. Wasn't it interesting just to hear all the different reports about what fear is from people? Isn't that interesting? Just to say, okay, it's not something because autumn usually fear just comes and take me away. I'm you know, I, I won't stand up to it. Sometimes we do, but a lot of times it takes us away. But just to name it, to see the features, to name it is tremendous power. And so I'll invite that practice with, with, with fear, however it forms, and then we'll come back next time. Uh, I have a few more stories that I didn't tell, 
that I'll, that I'll tell, but mostly just review the basics, tell a few stories, and then really have a chance to hear what we've been exploring and, and um, have more, quite a bit more discussion. So, good. So let's just sit then to, to finish. to invite to be present what you found helpful from the morning, personally, or in terms of an insight or principle. And then sit with both what's been helpful and then intentions for the next week. So remembering, as we do at the end of our mornings, that we do this exploration, this practice, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And we offer the benefits of the morning out in all directions from this hall. For the benefit, the healing, and the freedom from fear of all beings. Thank you so much for your attention. And Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.